welcome to What It Is Your Part Documentary Part Roundtable Podcast with just a sprinkling of competition. I'm your host each week, Ellie Main, and joining me as I have always every week is my good dear friend, Chelsea Hafoush. Chelsea, how are you? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's just that's kind of how it's you're just doing. Like, it's just like, boo, 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 you know? Sure. Totally. Yes. I've had a real fun week. I had to swerve to avoid an idiot on the road and I crashed my car into a small wall and she's now in need of much facial plastic surgery. <laughs> Bless her. Oh no. If only the good doctor had been there. If only. He could, have- <laughs> <laughs> he could have seen something that no one else could see and he would fix it. Yeah. Yeah, because of the abilities given to him by his neurodivergence. Yeah. Look, <laughs> yes. Yes, that is the premise of the show. <laughs> oh, no. It's a good premise. I didn't realize that it was starring Charlie Bucket. Oh, from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yes. Yeah. But yeah. he's all grown up and he talks about sex a lot on the show and it's Ooh. always jarring. Because he's one of those adults that kind of has like a kid face. Yes. All I can, all like, I will be able to think about is I've got a golden ticket. Like I can respect that we are like about the same age intellectually as in like I know that intellectually and also intellectually we are the same age but physically (laughs) let me see how old is this kid how old is the good doctor (laughs) let me go ahead and google real quick everybody is on the edge of their seat to know yeah oh yeah yeah yes he's 29 we would have been in the same school had he not been British and famous (laughs) the same school (laughs) not even the same school yeah the exact same school I just mean we were close enough in age that like had we gone to the same school had he Uh not been British and famous we would have like overlapped we would have been at school at the same time he would have gone to school in Slidell, Louisiana yeah if he had gone to look if he were researching a role yeah oh that's that's fair send me to this send me to this school am I writing a screenplay right now I think you might be the good student the good boy the good boy but he has a boy's face. He does. He does have a boy's face. One of those, like, like forever, like Feather Boy. What's his name? Love Actually Kid. Oh the yeah, Queen's Gambit. Kid. Same face. Yeah, and he's in. Um, he was in the Maze Runner, and it was just like it was like they deep faked the kid from Love Actually <laughs> onto a teenager's body, but that was just him. Speaking of that, have you been watching oh, any? God. Have you been oh, watching no. any Ted Lasso? No. Every everyone on Earth, including even Maximus Crumkey, has been I like. Know. So Connor, I keep asking to- Connor to um, acquire it for me. Yeah, if you legally. know what I mean. <clears throat> legally, legally, uh, and he won't. It's fantastic, but there is this hilarious rumor that one of the actors, who's actually also one of the writers, is a CGI person, like just not a real person. And Wait, he himself- what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these people have been like talking on Reddit and Twit and TikTok and whatever about how he he looks like he might be like he's like uncanny valley. And it's really, really funny because this lady like on TikTok that I was watching, she like kind of laid out why. And it's part of it's like that Apple, because it's an Apple original TV show. Uh, they really like to use very, very soft lighting. And that can give like a kind of a weird uncanny valley appearance to people's faces. And then just like, I guess his mannerisms and, and the way that he, I guess, gen- generally looks. People have been like, that guy's not real. And he's like, sorry to, dis- <laughs> sorry to disappoint you. Super am a person alive. But that's exactly what somebody who wasn't real would say. That's true. Actually, I think that he tried. Let me see. Brett Goldstein, for it is he, real. <laughs> Ted Lasso fake actor. 
A main rumor is that he may be, in fact, CGI. Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent, posted a video that raises more questions than answers. So that's right. He did, because it's so, so ridiculous. He posted a video where he's like, I am a normal person and I do normal things, you know, like everybody else, like pro, like processing. <laughs> So he's not helping. I will he's say the not, very first. He's not helping. <laughs> the first picture that came up when I looked this, when I looked up Ted Lasso fake actor, uh, yeah. does look like a screenshot from like FIFA. Yes. Well, that I mean, uh, that's. It does not look like the, a real person. <laughs> that was also one of the explanations that because the show is about English football, that helps you lean more into the like that could be a 2021 FIFA person and not, in fact, a real man, a real boy. He did the statement using one of those like Apple face filters so that you are a little like cartoon person. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm a completely real, normal human man. <laughs> yeah. And I do basic things like rendering and buffering and transferring data. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I'm going to give that as that's going to be my fact bang. Apparently, Brett Goldstein is or isn't real. Okay, same same level of fact bang. Yeah, I want you to know that the other day I was on Tumblr. Uh, thank just, you, thank know. you for telling me. <laughs> You're welcome. And I I found um, I think maybe my new favorite Tumblr like master post, which is saying something. It's from a person, and okay. <laughs> it's their master list of all their favorite fanfics, and it really runs the gamut because it's like Mark. Marvel, DC, celebrities, and you're like, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's like Detroit Become Human, and you're like, yeah, like kind of like a niche yeah. game from like 2014. Okay, The Good Doctor. That's why <laughs> that was why it was on my feed. Fine. Uh, Rise of the Guardians, which I think is not the, the one with Gahul? the owls. Uh, no, not the owl one, but the one that has like the hot Jack Frost that everybody lost their shit about. Oh, that so that is different. The Bronze, which is a movie that I thought literally only I knew about. That's like a very indie comedy about a woman who won the bronze medal in figure skating in like the 90s and that now she's like a hometown like hero. something that you would watch. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know this had fan fiction about it. It's got Thomas Middleditch in it. Oh, it had that It had that middle ditch? Yeah, apparently. Well, so then I want to read you some of the titles of the Good Doctor <laughs> fanfics that are like linked oh, here because no. okay. they're incredible. Okay, ready? So you're going to start with convincing the board to hire him. Sure. That is actually the plot of the pilot of the good doctor so i'm not sure why we needed to retcon that but like yeah okay you're convincing the board do to it hire again Sean. yeah do it again help dot 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 and love question mark great love great that. title help really strong love. attractive misspelled beautiful but we get it you're like it, it's attractive okay it's attractive standing up for you against dr melendez now that would be pretty cool if the doctor if the good doctor would stand up for you against another doctor this Meeting is him so neat <laughs> Meeting him for the first Tim. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that was supposed to be time. Nope, D- Tim number one. <laughs> yeah, so you're gonna get that first Tim. Uh, being grateful that he keeps the house so organized. Now, oh, that's does, my favorite so far. This does feel real niche. Just being grateful. Um, and then of course fingering. <laughs> oh, perfect. Just to round it out at the end. <laughs> I, genu- I genuinely got like a word stuck in my mouth when you said that. That was what my small pause was for. I was like, <clears throat> nice. <laughs> anyway. I would please not like Charlie Bucket to finger me. <laughs> this, has been, this has been your good doctor roundup. 
can Tune we get every for- <laughs> every now and then can we get like a good doctor update yeah you're gonna want a good doctor my other favorite one is a freddie highmore appreciation post where it's just a bunch of pictures of his child face and then it says on his uh, adult body or on his child body yeah it's a bullet list it says yeah. unproblematic british <laughs> very calm and down to earth very and calm. amazing <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't know how you know that for sure. I don't think that's verified. Extremely calm. British verified. Very calm and down to earth, unverified Freddie Highmore fact. An amazing <laughs> actor. Sure. Um, he's, he's certainly doing his best to try to represent neurodivergence as a neurotypical mm. person Ugh. without like devolving into parody. And he mostly succeeds. Uh, <laughs> was a child actor, but didn't turn out crazy like some of them. That feels pointed. Wow. Wow. Uh, and speaks Arabic. <laughs> I didn't know oh. that. Okay, I'm back on board. I'm back on board. <laughs> okay. You know what? Good doctor for life. Chelsea, what yeah. is the title of your topic this week? Oh, it's the good doctor. No, no God, God damn <laughs> I would drive to your house to slap you. (laughs) It's just, I'm just going to tell you the plot of seasons one through four of The Good Doctor. There are four seasons? (laughs) Yeah, the fifth season's about to premiere. Season four I just started, and it starts with a two-part episode about COVID. And then Uh. the first episode, this is the only thing I'm going to tell you. (laughs) The first episode starts with like uh, a thing that's just like, hey, this is a made-up story about a real pandemic. Wear a mask. And I'm like, thanks, good doctor. They did it. (laughs) They fucking did that. Oh, what did they do? That. Yeah. Anyway, but the title of my actual topic is Mm -hmm. uh, Girlboss. Two girl boss on trial. Oh, oh! Is it is it Elizabeth Holmes? It's Elizabeth Holmes. I thought it was finally time that we talk about it because she's on trial. Oh, Mike, I'm so excited. You've turned my day around. Yeah. I was a bit, yeah. a bit depressed today and now I'm so excited. Oh my God. Um, well, Mamba's here. He was like, Mamba's oh, you all talking with the good doctor? And I was like, I'm sorry, we just finished. And he's like, Arr! Yeah, and he's really like, oh, well, I'm ready to scream. <laughs> oh, Elizabeth Holmes, I can't wait. Was it? I think yeah. it was you that first told me about her. Didn't we listen? Yeah. Yes, because we listened to a podcast on the way back from um, Hollis Company. Yes. So I have been obsessed with this story for quite a while because I read the book, which is called Bad Blood. Oh, and no, I did bright. not think that it was a Taylor Swift original novel, but I did think it was fun that it was called Bad Blood and it came out around the same time as the song. But it was written by um, John Carreyrou, who is a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, and he's the one that originally cracked the case. Oh, really? Oh, about rules. He's the one that originally cracked the case and for the Wall Street Journal about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And then he wrote the book about it. And then that got turned into a documentary. Yeah. And then it's been, there's been a couple different documentaries. Supposedly, um, they're making a movie with Jennifer Lawrence as Elizabeth Ooh, Holmes. Good kind casting. of a Wolf of Wall Street meets Girlboss moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, Mamba, you're so stinky. But then also meets, like, oh, man, we're going to get into it, but, like, she's so deranged. She's absolutely deranged. And this story takes more wild turns than you could possibly imagine. So I'm very excited to get into it with you. I am psyched. Mine is a little different. (laughs) Okay. Mine is called Loftus Hall, Buyer Beware. Loftus Hall, Mm -hmm. Buyer Beware. Yes. Is it about an awful place that you shouldn't buy or go to called Loftus Hall? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's more specific than that, but yes, that is part of it. Well, I've definitely never heard of Loftus Hall, so... Okay, good. I feel like I both know where we're going, but I also don't know where we're going at all. Well, are you going to make any more guesses as to what it's about in particular? Is it about Gaust? (gasps) It might be about Gaust. Oh my God, it's about a Gaust. It is about a Gaust. Oh my God. It's actually the most haunted house in Ireland. What? Ireland's got to be crazy haunted. I know. So many hauntings. That's so powerful. Okay, so this is called Loftus Hall, buyer beware. Driving along the isolated road that runs down the scenic Hook Peninsula in Ireland's ancient east, which apparently is a part of Ireland, insane, it's easy to spot the mansion that has earned itself the reputation as the most haunted house in Ireland, which, as Chelsea pointed out, is quite the accolade. If If ever a building fit the stereotype of a home haunted by its bloody and tragic past, this is it. It's set against the backdrop of a rugged and windswept coastal setting. Loftus Hall looms over the surrounding landscape. Its historic walls have seen invasion, capture, plague, famine, and numerous personal tragedies, many of which live on as ghostly legends. And right now, this famous house is up for sale to the right buyer. For a limited time only, you too. <laughs> you too could have the most haunted house in Ireland. Same more right now, Queen. <laughs> okay, so, well, the asking price is $2.8 million. So, I mean, oh, you know, great. We, Perfect. We, could, no, maybe we could rustle it up. Yeah, right um, on target. Yeah. It's about four times the price the current owners paid for it nine years ago. And some incredible Irish names coming up here. Aiden and Shane Quigley. <laughs> Yeah, put a new no, roof on the Irish. building, and they made several significant structural repairs to the hall when they are since they bought it nine years ago. Oh, so they think they deserve that? They well, Aiden Quigley says that even if someone can match the current price tag, he's not just going to sell it to anyone. He's going to be interviewing potential buyers. Uh huh. And then, strangely enough, if an American owner wants to live here, I'd be keen to work with them to restore it. Don't know why American specifically. I've always wondered if we have like a weird house reputation. And let me say more. Okay. Okay. I feel like I should. I have always wonder, wondered in that very American-centric way that we have of thinking about the world, if like house flipping or like going in and like kind of like redoing a house is as yeah. big of a thing in other country, in other like Western countries as it is in America. Well, or I don't think we like, make quite as many like reality TV shows about it. We certainly don't make right. like weird looking twins famous for it. Yeah. Like we don't have like, you guys don't have like your own weird like brothers who are probably probably fucking and you didn't although i did see a british version of trading spaces which was psychotic oh oh changing rooms yeah changing rooms and like it was absolutely unhinged they broke this woman's teapots and she cried yeah yeah Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mamba, do you have claws? My Sorry, favorite is when they claws. Cry. Okay, so Quigley's are the current owners, but the recorded history of Loftus Hall and the land even upon which it stands stretches back some 800 years. The locals, though, say that the significance of the site goes back even more, potentially thousands of years, and was once oh sacred God. to the Druids. How the fun. Druids? Oh and my if God, you don't know, Druids. Druids are the high-ranking professional and religious class in ancient Celtic cultures, or Celtic, depending on if you care. So the story of Loftus Hall begins around 1170 AD. That's a long time ago. When Raymond Fitzgerald, nicknamed Le Gros, which means the fat, 
Oh. Yeah. Landed yeah, in Bagenburn Head in the Hook Peninsula in what is now County Wexford in Ireland. It is a famous site in Irish history known as the place where Ireland was lost and won. So Raymond was among the first of a small band of Norman knights who played an active role in helping enforce Norman rule over Ireland. He acquired land in the area upon which he built a castle known as Houseland Castle. Over the years, it fell into disrepair, and in 1350, descendants of Mr. Legros built a new castle called the Hall, or Redmond Hall. The, the Hall is a bit, like, um, presumptuous, isn't it? Yeah, the Hall is like, okay. <laughs> the okay, Hall. we get it. It's the Hall, and there's not going to be another one, so keep that in mind. Uh, the Hall remained with the Redmond family until the mid-1600s, when the Irish Confederate Wars saw the castle repeatedly attacked and seized as part of the Cromwellian confiscations. Apparently Cromwell and his mates just popped up and were like, yeah, that, this is mine now. Mine. Yeah, when did England steal Ireland? I believe it was him, no? In the mid-1600s. Is it this? Is this what's happening? I mean, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Ellie, why did, why did you do that? Well... <laughs> You go ahead and answer for that here and now. Uh, because we're dicks. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. In one remarkable display of defense on July 20th, 1642, Alexander Redmond, who was 68 at the time, protected the hall from around 90 English invaders with just the help of his two sons, some tenants, two soldiers, and a tailor. Barney. Hell yeah. yeah. Is that where you got Tinker, Taylor, soldier, sons? Tinker, Taylor, two soldier, sons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. The, uh, yes. The lesser known original version of that movie. Upon his death around 1651, the Redmond's family were evicted from the hall and the house was put up for auction. In 1666, Henry Loftus, originally from Yorkshire, England, acquired the confiscated lands and the mansion was renamed Loftus Hall. So yeah, that was all in the time where England was like, this is ours. Thank you. And this is ours. Well, I mean, it was, it was literally right there. We'll take Atlantis. Cheers. Yeah. And that's a little callback if you haven't seen that oh ep- listened to that episode. That was a callback. Good job. Thanks, babe. That's going to be another, that's going to be a point right there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, over the decades and centuries that followed, the Loftus family rose in the peerage, producing barons, viscounts, earls, and marquesses as they climbed the ladder of the aristocracy. The illustrious family really hoped that they could entice Queen Victoria to come visit Loftus Hall. And there was, this was just a huge goal of theirs. So John Henry Loftus, who was the fourth Marquess of Ely, embarked mm-hmm. on an enormous reservation of the hall between 1870 and 1879 to make it grander than even before. Massive. No expense was spared. They created it, turned it into a three-story mansion with a balustraded parapet, an ornate mosaic floor, and a spectacular grand staircase handcrafted by Italian craftsmen. Amazing. Oh yeah, big hall. But Queen Victoria was like, mm, no, I'm good. <laughs> she never. She decided that even though that the house was certainly fit for a queen, she was like, "Nah, I'm good, thanks. I have my diamond to cut into smaller p- pieces forever," and that caused <laughs> deep disappointment to the Loftus family. And then, so then, while this rich and colorful historical past is enough to make historians very excited, it's the legends mm-hmm. and the unexplained mysteries and the tales of ghostly apparitions that have made Loftus Hall one of the most visited mansions in the whole of Ireland. The legends all stem from the real life and death of. Anne Tottenham. I nearly called this topic hidden in the walls and then I thought that uh-huh. that would be confusing because call back again of your topic about the lady who's supposedly imprisoned inside of the church walls. 
Right. It's got some similar little elements, um, which is not great, as you can imagine. So, so in the <laughs> mid-1600s, Charles Tottenham married the Honourable Anne Loftus, daughter of the first Viscount Loftus, and they had six kids, four boys and two girls, Elizabeth Jimin. and Anne. So it was like Anne Jr., and the youngest, whatever. whatever. Yeah, little Anne. And Anne Sr. became ill and died while the girls were really very young. So as one does back in the mid-1600s, Charles took a couple of years to grieve and then married his cousin. Oh, yeah. And they, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they lived together with the youngest daughter, Anne, in Loftus Hall. Then one night amid a powerful, this is some like uh, women in black shit, I'm telling you. So one <laughs> night amid a powerful storm, a ship arrived at the Hook Peninsula and a young man made his way to Loftus Hall asking if he could take shelter there, which wasn't that uncommon because the waters could get really rough around that area. And so a lot of ships would get grounded on the shore or even would like break up on the rocks and they would have to like, go and save people in the sea. So so this man came in and he ended up mm-hmm. living in the house for several weeks because again back in those days it was like let me give you hot soup until you feel better from your very small cold yeah i've read <laughs> jane Eyre. yeah exactly like anytime they like go out in the rain and it gets tense yeah and then you're like oh my god who's dying this time a major plot point of every like bronte or <laughs> Brent and prejudice etc so the most bonkers thing about that that I always thought, just as like yeah. a little aside, is my, my experience visiting, uh, you know, the Isles, as it were, uh, is yeah. that it rains a lot. <laughs> Oh it is, yeah, it is constantly raining. I think it rained yeah. every single. I think it has rained at least at one point every single day that I have <laughs> ever spent in oh, England yeah. or Scotland. I mean, it's a tiny little island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Yeah, blustered so by currents. For it rain is. to be that dangerous. Oh yeah, so you just like they would just never go outside. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's positively fraught. Yeah, but it's always like women, like quote unquote hysterical women who are like lovesick who wander out into the moors and then get a cold and yeah. die. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was their fault because they're crazy. Yeah, women. Hello. So, it's so, me. It's Kathy. And the younger, now like a young woman, she fell in love with the stranger, and she spent countless hours socializing with him in the tapestry room. Oh my god. <laughs> And then whore. according to local le- whore. according to local legends, one evening, Anne was playing cards with this stranger, as well as some other guests, and she leaned down to collect a card that she had dropped under the table, and she noticed that the stranger had cloven hoofs. No! <laughs> she horrific. screams loudly, causing the stranger to expose himself as de Debeau. Excuse me? <laughs> At which point, as one does, he transformed into a ball of fire and shot up through the roof, leaving Anne in a state of trauma from which she never recovered. Aww. Do you think that this is all like sort of like a fantastic retelling of like she saw his dick? <laughs> Uh, it could be well yeah and then her her family like so ashamed and embarrassed that they just covered it up they were like yeah like he was pure evil and like that twist that twist it into he was the actual devil (laughs) the actual debut her mental state deteriorated pretty rapidly and her family embarrassed by her behavior as again Mm -hmm. you would be in the mid 1600s confined her to a room in the house where she remained until her death in 1775 and I was trying to figure out it doesn't actually say like exactly how old she was but if it was the mid 1600s that her parents got married it's, it's got to be a long time yeah to be locked in a room to be locked in one room in this spooky little house and it said from this time onwards Loftus Hall became plagued by severe poltergeist activity because the troubled Anne was never able to rest in peace oh well they brought it on themselves yeah what do you do in the 16th 17th century when you think your house is haunted you invite a couple of clergymen to come figure it out Mm -hmm. obviously there's always there's not always but there's 
for a long time been this tension between Protestant and Catholics in Ireland. It's a whole thing. So several Protestant clergymen were summoned to, by the family to put a stop to it, but none of them could get rid of the house of its evil forces. And then this is a big deal because of what I just said. In their desperation, the Loftus family called upon a Catholic priest who was a tenant on their estate who theoretically was successful in cleansing the house of his negative forces, even to the point where supposedly his gravestone contains the inscription, here lies the body of Thomas Broaders, who did good and prayed for all and who banished the devil from Loftus Hall. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. It's fair to say that many of the details of this account are likely to be a little more fictional sort of folktale than truthfulness. But nevertheless, reports going back over a century say that Anne was indeed confined to a room in Loftus Hall until her death. So what really happened to her? The account of the cloven hoof and devil shooting through the roof was made up, supposedly. This is the most likely idea. It was made up by the Loftus family to deter beggars and other strangers from paying a visit to the hall. After all, as we said, they were desperately hoping to entice Queen Victoria for a visit. So the last thing they needed was these tales of undesirables getting in the way. So by making up this devil shooting through the roof, they thought that maybe some sailors would stop knocking on the door. Which then raises the question as to whether Anne was really confined due to mental illness or whether there was some other reason for this tragic ending to her life. According to one alternative account, the stranger had fallen in love with Anne and had asked Charles Tottenham, her dad, for her hand in marriage, but was refused permission, and he was turned away from the house, leaving Anne forever heartbroken. But here's a twist in this story. During the restoration of Loftus Hall, this one that has happened recently by the Quigleys, the skeletal remains of a tiny infant were found between the walls in what is believed to have been the room Anne had been locked in. Oh, God. That so is... <laughs> that is bleak. That is, I mean, poltergeist worthy for sharks. Yeah, that's just like... That's like I uh, I was looking at the Halloween decorations um, at like Michael's or something the other day yeah. and they had one that was just like you put it on your wall and it was just like a Ouija board like it was like the Ouija design uh-huh. and I was like no I'm not gonna do that like I'm not gonna That's, put I'm not gonna put yeah. a portal on my wall <laughs> just like kind of hanging out in my house for like uh, the ring girl to climb through yeah I'm just like I, like I did that. no I'm not gonna no, do that no I'm not doing that. Uh, and this feels um, ooh, like 800,000 times worse. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> in terms bad. Of just like a, like a bad way to invite some bad shit in your house. Yeah. Like, oh, let's see. Uh, Ouija board on the wall. Uh, infant in the wall. Baby in the wall. Baby. That's a baby in the wall. That's a baby in the wall situation. So the question yeah. is, did Anne fall pregnant with a stranger, casting shame upon the family, providing a motive for her father to lock her away? Or did Anne die in childbirth after her father refused to let anyone know of the pregnancy, and including the local doctor and he hit the baby like who knows but today Anne Tottenham's grave is located in a local graveyard in Wexford but something is pretty peculiar about it unlike the surrounding graves it is completely cemented over the people that buried her most likely to be her family clearly wanted to ensure that no one could ever access her body which leads you to think what dark secrets did she take with her to the grave well first of all baby secrets first of all baby in the wall (laughs) yeah first of all I think we know the first secret she took to her grave <laughs> that one is solved that's gonna be but next that ones it, but why lock her in like why cement her into a coffin for baby in the wall like i mean surely cement the baby in the wall because she was acting crazy and they thought maybe that was a way to like cement her soul in like so that her ghost couldn't come out oh ghosts couldn't jump out no ghosts could come out of this coffin yeah ghosts couldn't simply jump out many are convinced that the ghost of Anne roams the cold and empty rooms of the mansion as it stands 
Indeed, American ghost hunters carried out detailed investigations of the house and claimed to have detected numerous anomalies with their little ping-ping machines like phasmophobia. But mm -hmm. it, it was in 2014 that Loftus Hall cemented its reputation as the most haunted house in Ireland when a visitor taking a tour believed that he captured a haunting image on his camera. It went pretty viral, attracting the attention of pe people from all around the world. He was browsing through the photos in his camera, this 21-year-old guy, Thomas Beavis, when he noticed the ghostly figures of a young woman and an older woman in a window and i'm putting it in the chat oh hell yeah oh that sucks that's pretty bad <laughs> that's, isn't it that's very spooky <laughs> because part of me is like is it a trick of the light of this girl in pink in the photo but that then was my first thought too who's to say it's, it's not fun because there's a real person in the photo who is almost in the same body position as mm -hmm. the sort of spectral image so there's a moment of just but then you're like oh yeah reflections don't work that way reflections mirror they Would don't go the other way you wouldn't both be looking left you'd right. be looking left and right and so this woman is wearing spook. some sort of long frock as it yeah. i mean as it appears but yeah spooky long dress not not cool well so that went viral around the world and everyone was like fuck that place so then in the early 20th century the loftus family went bankrupt following the death of the last member of the loftus family and it was taken over by the benedictines who occupied it until 13 1935 sorry and then uh -huh. in 1937 the sisters of providence converted it into a convent for school uh, and a convent in school for young girls wanting to join the order and I guess become nuns. Uh, locals say mm. that the police, that people were terrified to attend mass in its chapel given the well-circulated legends of the devil himself visiting the halls. You can imagine in like 1940s they'd be like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm not dealing with that. Devil? Devil in my church? <laughs> and then so. the spookiness kind of continues. In 1983, Loftus Hall was purchased by Michael Devereaux who opened it as Loftus Hall Hotel. He died in the hall without explanation and his wife struggled for several years trying to run the hotel on her own before she disappeared one day leaving everything behind spooky and then it entered another dark she period the property was left vacant but was occupied illicitly for nearly a decade by people conducting satanic rituals and meetings there okay that kind of sounds do we have sources on that <laughs> do I let's find out you know what I mean <laughs> like, doesn't that kind of sound like a thing that somebody would make up like that you'd hear on a ghost tour and you'd be like I don't know about that like they're like well it was in satanic panic time wasn't it doesn't that sound like the kind of thing that like oh weird okay but hang on I have found by digging into my notes here that that part of the photo is just um, very much zoomed in from a bigger photo which I am now also going to post into the chat ooh <gasps> oh I fucking hate that that is spookier somehow and then you like look at and you're like wait what is that and you zoom in yeah. and you're like oh it's a lady oh, that's a woman looking that's through a woman. the window of the door horrible um, horrible yes so in 2011 it was purchased by its current owners the Quigleys who have embarked on this massive project of restoration it's open to the public still so we could go do a 45 minute guided tour that tells us about all the ghosts and the legends and I guess this is what's happening here in these photos thank god apparently when leaving the hall after one of these tours one is left with far more questions than answers. Fact and fiction have become so closely entwined in the history of Loftus Hall that it's pretty impossible to determine where history ends and the legend begins. Perhaps this future owner of Loftus Hall, whoever they be, will gain special insight into 
the true story of Loftus Hall. Ba -ba -ba -ba. So are we it. like starting a Kickstarter to get this haul or like what's 100%. going on? <laughs> yep. And it's going to be 100%. us. hundred <laughs> percent. And we're going to just turn the whole, whole building is going to be our podcast studio for this show. Oh, perfect. That's ideal. Yeah. The bigger, the better, right? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, cause you want, when you're recording audio, and a lot of people don't know this, you want just like the most cavernous space with like the <laughs> biggest, highest, emptiest walls. Yes. Yeah. With the most like echoing acoustics possible. Yeah, no, that's what makes it like, that's what makes it like thunderous and like strong. That's what makes it so mask. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It gives you the gravitas. Absolutely. Um, and that is my tale of Loftus Hall and its ghosts. I loved it. And I loved that once again, you provided photographic evidence for an audio medium. That's, that's important. <sighs> You need that. Uh, but it was very spooky and it'll get people to go look up that photo and be subsequently spooked. We'll put it on our social media. Put it on the media. We're oh, gonna. also, yeah, absolutely. So do you want your points at the end or do you want your points now? Points now. Points now. <laughs> All right, perfect. So. <laughs> da da damn it, Chelsea. <laughs> Uh, for those playing along at home, she has she has answered my pictures of the spooky ghost with a picture of the good doctor. <laughs> he has an apple. I see that. Sean plus apple. Sean plus apple. Uh, yeah, good doctor stands are like absolutely unhinged. Uh, Seems like it. But not me though. I'm built different. I mean, to give you the aforementioned one point that you Thank already you. that you got like mid sesh, like congratulations, powerful. So so you have at least one. Perfect. Uh, which is great. Uh, and then building off of that, I love to go to Ireland. It is a place that I've always wanted to go. I think it has the sexiest accent, and I, I'll stand yeah, by that. It's Home true. of Killian Murphy, known sexiest man, possibly alien, alive. <laughs> um, everyone knows that. And like mm -hmm. everyone knows that. Uh, so that's like going to be like another eight points for Ireland. Ooh. And you know what? We're going to give another four points for the spooky ghost pick because we both kind of got bamboozled by it. Where yeah. We thought it was a reflection, and then it wasn't. And I thought like that. Uh, that was like a cool bonding moment where we like both got bamboozled and then we both yeah. accepted responsibility for that. It's a journey of a photo. It's a journey. Oh God. And I am going to have to take away two points for the baby in the wall because that upset me. Yeah, that's that's upsetting. But <laughs> that's I've never, I've read a lot of ghost stories. I've never heard the detail of like somebody being cemented into their casket. And I think that's very spooky and I probably that's will steal spooky, it for like a story. It? So I'm going to yeah. give another three points back. For inspiration? For inspiration. Yeah. Three points for inspiration. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. You know I love a ghost story. That was very good. Okay, so let's talk about Girl Boss 2, Girl Boss on Trial, The Trial of Elizabeth Holmes. <sighs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I've wanted to do this for a while, truthfully, because the premise of this podcast is something that you're so freaked out about that you can't stop talking about. Yep. And for a while, that was me with like Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. But there was a period of time between kind of like the initial uproar of like the fallout of the scandal and now where it felt like it wasn't really in the news. And I wasn't sure if it, I was like, is this passe? Is like nobody care about where Theranos anymore? Gone? But now it's back in the news because her criminal trial 
trial has started. And it's been years, right? Since it all happened? Yes. So this all this all happened in kind of like 2013, like 2007 to 2013 kind of is like the, the biggest time for Theranos as wow. a company. Uh, and the fallout, like the Wall Street Journal story and then the subsequent book were later than that. They were like 2015. And then I believe the book came out in 2017. Let me okay. check that. Bad Blood book. Oh, no, t- 2018. I'm so sorry. So the book came out in 2018. And the yes, and the story, I was right. The story broke in 2015. So it's been a few years, but she faced a lot of civil lawsuits for reasons that will become pretty clear. Evidently clear. <laughs> and then uh, right now she is on trial. She is girl boss on trial uh, and is facing up to 20 <laughs> years in prison for fraud. So it's kind of this weird thing where like, well, not weird, I guess just sort of like a landmark of like how capitalism works in this country. She faced a lot of civil lawsuits for hurting people, but she is on trial for defrauding investors, like yes. losing people money. It's uh, but she, wire fraud, I think, is her like actual charge, right? Wire fraud, which is when you lie to somebody about money over the phone or like they wire you money. I don't know. It just... Something like capitalism. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because like there's wire fraud and there's mail fraud and there's... It's so stupid. Who cares about the method of fraud? They all kind of like amount to the same thing, but like there are different rules for like how you lie to somebody about money. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Ideal. <laughs> so one of the podcasts that covered this in depth, like we were talking about earlier, is um, The Dropout. Oh, yeah. The Dropout is ABC, which was like a, a major podcast kind of covering the entire Elizabeth Holmes uh, Theranos scandal. And then I think they were like, hey, (laughs) that podcast was so successful that they also have a Hulu series coming out. I guess competing with this Jennifer Lawrence project, it's going to be a movie. They're going to do, uh, Hulu's going to do a miniseries that's also kind of a comedy. And Kate McKinnon is going to play Elizabeth Holmes, which is deeply powerful. (laughs) Yeah, it's very good. (laughs) They're doing another season. That's This is where this comes real circle. Another season just started that's about the trial. And I listened to the first episode and I wasn't super impressed because it kind of kind of had this feeling of like, well, we got to do another season because now people care about this again because it's back in the news. Yeah. But there's not really a lot to tell yet because there's it's just much the very beginnings. Yeah, there's just like not a lot of news. So they were kind of telling a lot of stories about how like what Elizabeth Holmes has been up to and like the intervening years and kind of like sort of shaming her for it, which I was like, okay, look, I'm not Elizabeth Holmes hive. Like she is not a cool person. Uh, like even beyond, like she's not even kind of like a cool like scammer. Like, like the way that girl that scammed all of the people in like the art world in New York was a cool scammer. She's right. kind of like a nerd scammer. Like she's just kind of like a dweeb. And she's like a weird like like Steve Jobs fascination. And like that's lame. <laughs> and so I, I'm not Elizabeth Holmes Hive by any means. But I do think it's strange to say things like this woman got married while she was like waiting for her trial. And I was like, yeah, she continued to be a person. Like what did you want her to yeah. do? Wear a scarlet letter and like stay in a cave like right. like in her shame cave until her trial like she's a human being and I, she she continued to live her life uh, she did it mostly out of the public eye she wasn't unlike some felons we all know constantly on television or social media talking about herself <laughs> uh-huh. uh, She, but she didn't like stop living her life I just think it's a weird thing to like latch on to somebody for well I think uh, you're right it's because there's nothing really else to report so they're like wow can right. you believe it can you believe it so instead of talking about whether or not Elizabeth Holmes is still wearing um, black turtlenecks. Spoiler alert, she's not. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about, let's just do like a quick deep dive in case you are the person at the party that does not know what happened with Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos 
and you'd like to know, I'm going to lay it down for you in hopefully under 45 minutes so you don't have to listen to a whole podcast about it or read a whole book. But if you do want to read a whole book, most of this information is coming from John Kerry Roos Bad Blood, which is such a good book. And I think I've listened to it like three times on Audible so far. Oh, hell yeah. It's just really good, fast paced, like investigative reporting. Okay, so Elizabeth Holmes, first of all, she's a Texas gal. I have sometimes wondered if somebody in your past Houston circle might know her because she went to like private schools in Houston at like the same, she's like the same age as people we used to know from Houston. I think that we discovered, in fact, yes, because didn't she go to St. John's school? I Maybe. So um, yes, I think but yes. that, um, uh, yeah, my ex-husband, I think was either in, I think he was actually in her year. He said she was weird. I do remember this conversation. Yeah. She, a lot of people <laughs> say she was weird. So, uh, she, she was always weird. She was always really, really ambitious. One of the anecdotes that's told in the book comes from her own family where she was very young and she's like five or six. And her dad said, you know, kind of like offhandedly to her, uh, maybe someday you'll be president. And she Uh said, I don't want to be president. I want to be a billionaire. And he was like, well, why? And she's like, cause if you're a billionaire, you can tell the president what to do. And it was like, Okay. Well, she's not wrong, right, cool. but it's not great. <laughs> she's not, yeah, but it's also like spooky to think of like a child kind of already knowing that. Yeah. So she grows up in like relative privilege in Houston, Texas. She is always obsessed with the idea of specifically kind of like being an inventor, being an innovator, being an entrepreneur. She has like this sort of single mindedness that it's, and this is what I think is fascinating, or this is what kind of like initially drew me to her story is, yeah. um, Once she became famous for Theranos, she really kind of presented... Uh, as if like this was her passion because that's how entrepreneurs usually present is like they had some sort of problem or some sort of personal story uh, and then that led them to this solution or this product that now they're overcoming they're it made profiting. them amazing right and for her it was more just like the the only thing that was consistent was the desire to be an entrepreneur and she spent most of her adolescence and the beginning of school trying to just figure out what that thing was so she tried a bunch of different things she went to stanford until she dropped out uh, which is why that podcast was called the dropout and she kind of focused in her first thing that she focused in on was this idea of what if you could have like a chip on your arm that would be constantly monitoring like your blood and your Mm -hmm. blood sugar and your oxygen level and keep like sending that information to a computer wirelessly wouldn't and then also and then also dispensing medication at the same time so basically like like it's a form of preventative medicine where rather than having to go to a doctor and like every six months or whatever or a year and getting a blood test getting a series of panels seeing if anything is off and then treating whatever's off what if like all that happened on sort of like a micro level constantly so nothing ever became a problem that mm-hmm. was her first idea and she went to uh, like a biology professor at Stanford and was like 
like, what do you think about this? And they were like, that's really cool. That's absolutely science fiction. Yeah, it would be awesome. Everyone would yeah, love it would that be awesome if it was if that real. Were possible. There's so many different mini innovations in medicine and wearable technology in real time, like body mapping that would have to happen before something like that happened. Yeah. To make this possible. But she kind of stayed on it and she tried to figure it out. She actually filed a patent for this idea. Like she started kind of, <laughs> and this isn't the only patent that she filed because this is also learning reading this book is how i learned that filing patents is actually kind of easy you just like anytime you have an idea you just draw it and send it in they're like they're like sure so she she patented this idea in 2003 2004 she dropped out uh and she used the rest of her tuition money to start her company and originally the company was called real-time cures because it was still on this idea of this drug delivery patch she had let go of that Mm -hmm. and then when she llc that they fucked up and they actually made it real-time curses uh which what? was a dark harbinger. this is absolutely true it's a dark harbinger of things to come and real so time real-time curses so like her first employees there all their paychecks would say real-time curses <gasps> but when she finally was able to accept <laughs> that i know when she was finally able to accept that like this this patch wasn't going to work she moved on to kind of like a, a related idea and the thing is is that part of her origin story she says it comes from her real fear of needles which which might be true. But again, like with the kind of the way that Elizabeth Holmes is, it's not clear if that really was true or fear of anything if, is true. <laughs> right. Or if it's kind of like a backwards retcon of like she came up with this idea and then was like trying to come up with like a true story for why she wanted to do this. So it at some time after 2004, when she's already started this company, oh, by the way, she changed the name from Real Time Curses to Theranos, uh, which is the name that everybody knows now. What you might not know is it's a combination of the words therapy and diagnosis because again her idea was that you would have a patch that would both diagnose you and provide the therapy all in all at once mm-hmm. and on an ongoing so that's where theranos comes from um, cool. <laughs> she switches the idea from this patch that's absolutely impossible to this blood idea that's absolutely impossible it appears as though she was inspired by um actually i do think she even said this at one point she was inspired by seeing somebody test themselves for low blood sugar somebody who was diabetic uh-huh which if you've ever seen it right like people with diabetes have to test their blood sugar all the time they mm-hmm. usually do a finger stick and grab ca- just like a tiny amount of capillary blood and that's and able that to goes- read how much blood sugar is in it gives them a level right yeah and they carry that around it's portable it's easy so yeah. this not necessarily not necessarily out of left field elizabeth holmes asked the question well why couldn't you do that for every blood test Right. The problem is, is that then she went to real doctors and biologists and biochemists and said, why can't you do this for every blood test? And they told her why. <laughs> uh, and the reason <laughs> the reason is, is that uh, we only have like a handful of different kinds of tests. And the most common type of blood test is something called an immunoassay. And an immunoassay test is where you look for proteins in the blood, like you have a blood cell or a blood sample, uh, and then you have certain proteins that are from an immune response. So like, you know, COVID-19 gives certain immune responses, having, you know, certain kinds of cancer gives certain immuno responses. Those immuno responses show up, those responses from your own immune system, yeah, being pregnant, those all show up as like 
proteins in your blood that came from your own immune system. And then you can create a test called an immunoassay that looks just for that protein from your immune system and says, oh, well, if you have that protein, it's because you have this thing. Mm -hmm. The issue is in order for that to be effective, in order to be able to see enough of like a protein that's just coming from your own immune system, especially like if it's not a bloodborne disease, which most diseases aren't necessarily. Right. You have to have a pretty large sample of blood, which you can't get out of a capillary stick. You can't get out of like the capillaries, which are the tiny little vessels at the ends of your fingers. That's why they take your blood through one of your veins and they take a big old fucking vial of it. Yeah. Big old chunky vial of it. A big old chunky vial. The other and the biggest issue with a capillary stick, even beyond the amount of blood that it takes, is that by the time blood gets to your capillaries, it's diffused with so much oxygen that it changes like the makeup of your blood. So blood from the capillaries is not as reliable for immunoassay or like protein detector tests Mm -hmm. as venous blood, which is still moving through your body before... No, not before it's been oxygenated, but it's it's still moving oxygen through your body. So it's it has a different ratio of oxygen to blood. Right. These become important because all these doctors tell Elizabeth Holmes this is not possible. She says, figure it out. Because she is still thinking about <laughs> her heroes like Steve Jobs, who are all like tech entrepreneurs. And in tech, you can lie and you can figure things out. They're not the same kind of hard science yeah, as they'd science. Be like, but surely you can't make a microchip this small and then they would go yeah yes we can and then they'd turn around to that team and be like make it small make it small and they would just keep fucking with shit until they made it small so that's what she said she was like figure it out so her team of biologists and chemists and engineers keep working together until they build her first prototype, which she called the Edison, because like, calm down. Oh, girl. <laughs> I know. And uh, it is, the funny thing about it is that it is essentially, it's very low tech with a very high tech sheen over it. With her first machine, you take a little blood stick from your finger, just like you would if you were a diabetic testing your blood sugar. Uh-huh. And you take that little container that she called it a nanotainer with a tiny amount of blood in it and you insert it into this black box kind of like you would insert a floppy disk into like an old computer yeah they kind of look like an old computer with an ipad on the top and a big usb slot and a big exactly and then that ipad on the top would go and then it would tell you all this stuff about your blood which seemed fucking fantastic Yeah, and it's like, you're fucking dead. Sometimes it did, uh, but we'll get to that. Oh, <laughs> but man. what was happening inside the box was hilariously low-tech. Like, the equivalent of, like, the blood test equivalent of, like, an easy-bake oven. It literally inside had little arms that would take, that would, like, physically, like an arm, grab the blood sample, put it in, like, little, like, four or five little tiny mini trays, and then another arm would come grab that mini tray and move it to another side of the box, mm-hmm. and then an, a third arm would come in and put the little assay test in each of it so what they did was they couldn't ever figure out a way to to actually make this technology real where it would real-time test this blood all at once so instead what they did was they took what a human like pathologist would do in a test right in a lab and they miniaturized that with little robotic arms inside of the machine so inside the machine is just like a little robot i feel like i remember like didn't wasn't it like so shitty that in a lot of the early actually maybe in all of them sometimes the little robot arms weren't like good enough and it would just get like hot blood in all the machinery yes 
<laughs> and so what what it was designed to do to hide that fact it would it would the ipad part would like throw a specific error and that error pretended to be like on the screen is that it was like a connectivity error as in the machine is not connecting to the internet to download this information but what was really happening was all the arms inside were stuck stuck with like sticky blood yeah perfect so <laughs> So off of the quote unquote success of this machine that was not successful, she was able (laughs) to get a huge amount of seed money with a huge board of directors. But what's hilarious is her board of directors were not biologists or like vanguards of science. They were um, former secretaries of state. Whoa. And like tech entrepreneurs. Like not a single person on the board was an actual scientist. Uh, George Shultz, former secretary of state, was one of her biggest funders. And actually his grandson would go to on to work at Theranos. Mm. And it was also a board of all men. <laughs> it really had this in, like this energy of like these like very like illustrious older men in like their 70s and 80s being like, we've done it. We have found Miss Science. And oh, we man. are such supporters. Uh, kind of understandably, like I'm not even trying to be like an asshole. Like I think in their mind, they were like, well, you know, we want women in STEM. Here's a woman doing incredible things. They had no reason to think that she wasn't telling the truth, but she wasn't. She was so convinced that if she got enough money and enough funding and enough interest that eventually they would fix all the problems in inside the box. That's the crux of her defense, right? Is like, she's like, I didn't commit fraud because I wasn't trying to defraud anyone. I truly believed this was going to work. And that kind of begs the question, like, mm. at what point is that not enough? And like, some argue, and I, I am of the personal belief that they're right, that when you're doing stuff that it has to do with people's health and not like somebody's iPod, yeah. that it doesn't really matter, it, that you have to get it right. You have like a res- an ethical responsibility to get it right yeah and to not kind of you can't fake it till you make it when it comes to medicine and so it doesn't really matter wasn't there a whole story where she had some of her massive investors come to see the machine in action and they faked the whole thing. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was talking about with like the throwing the fake error code. Yeah. That happened in front of that happened in front of her investors. <laughs> she said, Oh, we're having trouble with the internet. Can you check your Wi-Fi?" And in reality, the machine just wasn't working. And so then they fake downloaded <laughs> from like by manipulating the, the, the screen on the front. Um, for the blood tests. Oh my God. So that ruse was so successful that they were able to, and this is wild because like, I guess this didn't happen and it didn't reach Texas, but mm-hmm. it would have been absolutely bonkers to see it in action. They reached like a landmark deal with Walgreens to put like, the original idea oh. was to put a Theranos mini clinic in every Walgreens like in oh America. My God. That would have been so, so they much did, money. They piloted it in like Arizona and there was, you can see pictures of like the Theranos clinic in Arizona and all these different Walgreens. The idea was that you, while you were shopping for like toothpaste or mascara or whatever, you could go into this clinic and you could order any blood test that you wanted without a, like a reference for your doctor for like 20 bucks. And there would be like a menu of, Oh, I want to screen for AIDS and I want to see if I have cancer and I want to check like my bone density and like all these different tests. And they were going to be able to do them like in real time, 
right when you were there and and give you these results. They obviously had really, really bad results with doing that. (laughs) First of all, maybe the best thing is that most people weren't able to go and actually get to use the Edison, like do the the finger stick with the nanotainer. The menu would say that, but then when you would go, there would be a phlebotomist there who would just take your blood the traditional way. And then they would explain, well, not all the tests are available yet. So at least they were doing that. But also they weren't really set up to be a a true lab either. So even the venous blood that they were taking from somebody's vein, they would still try to do on their own machine and they'd get wildly inaccurate results. Uh, And there are a lot of, honestly, like they were not great, but they could have been so much worse. Um, Stories from the book and from the lawsuits of how somebody would be at home after getting a Theranos test at a Walgreens, they'd get a call from their doctor being like, hey, you have critically low liver enzymes. You need to go to the emergency room right now. Like you might be dying. And then they would go to the emergency room and the emergency room would be like, I don't know where like this (laughs) test came from, but like you're fine. Well then, so so you're talking about like responsibility of like, yeah, her whole thing is like, I believed it would work. But then you sell a whole machine, whole system to a pharmacy company knowing that it doesn't work. That's the thing is she claims that she didn't know, that she was so busy running the business and trying to get deals that she trusted her engineering team to have oh. fixed these problems and they yeah. had it. Blame the it on the team. The team that worked there, including the whistleblower who brought this story to John Carreyrou, who is, and this is the greatest uh, fucking rival of all time, the grandson of Secretary of State George Schultz, oh! who got the job there through his grandfather and was like, hey, this is so fucked. Hey, pops. Uh, <laughs> Bad he's news. Like, oh, and they almost, they almost, uh, his grandfather, this was the saddest part, his grandfather sided with Elizabeth over him. No! His grandfather ambushed him at their house. He said, I need you to come to the house and talk to me about what's going on with Theranos with Elizabeth. And when he got there, there were two lawyers from <gasps> Theranos there to <sighs> intimidate him and what be like, if you don't sign this paper right now, recanting everything you said to that reporter, we're going to sue you. And George Schultz later claimed that he didn't know that they were going to do that, which like, of course you did. You were a fucking secretary of state. What did you think they were going to do at your house? You tricked your grandson. But after it came out that obviously all of it was fake, uh, they have since reconciled. And then I think George Schultz died. Uh, But I'm glad they got to reconcile before he died. Yeah, he died in February of this year. Hmm. But it's absolutely wild, right? That like, no shade to this guy who was the whistleblower, but like probably nepotism was part of how he got his job. Oh, for sure. at, at, at At what was that at that time, the hottest startup in Silicon Valley. And then he was one of the only people that was brave enough to come out and say, what you're doing is wrong and you're going to hurt people. And he absolutely maintains, as do other people who have come forward since, that Elizabeth Holmes absolutely knew mm-hmm. that the machines weren't working. Uh, and that anything that she says to the to the contrary is to save herself. So uh, George Schultz's grandson, as well as a couple other people who formerly worked at Theranos, go to John Kerry Rue through a blogger, <laughs> which is the first person that they reached out to who ran like a very niche blog about blood testing (laughs) of course and he literally was like this is so above my pay grade i would not even know what to do to try to take on this like billion dollar company yeah uh, with a famous uh woman at its head who was who was at that time like you know on the cover of forbes as the world's youngest self-made female billionaire stuff like that yeah so he remembers that he worked with a reporter for the Wall Street Journal named John Kerry Rue on another big story that John Kerry Rue broke that was about fraud in like
like the Medicaid Medicare system. Mm-hmm. So he 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 uh, reached out to John Kerry room was like, "Hey, I don't really exactly know what this is, but do you want to check it out?" And John Kerry room was like, "Holy shit, I um, certainly do. Oh, I super do." And so he started, you know, asking questions, bugging around. They tried for months to get a tour of Theranos and Elizabeth and her. Oh, this is also really important. This is bonkers. She was the CEO. Because again, like that was like what she was wanting to be. The president of the company who actually ran day to day operations was her lover who was like, oh, yeah, who was like 30 years older than her. I remember (laughs) this. He was like a hype man. Yeah. Ramesh Balwani, Sunny Mm -hmm. Balwani. And he was really aggressive. People said that he would constantly like scream and fire people. He ran like a really, a real culture of fear. He siloed people under the name of like trade secrets of just like one lab couldn't know what the other lab was doing. Every individual lab was locked down with like key cards. So even if you worked there, you couldn't get into every lab. You could only get into like the very specific rooms where you're working was Mm -hmm. and they hid from everybody for years that they were in a relationship it didn't come out that they were dating until the middle of the scandal when everything when the entire story was coming out and people were really blindsided they were like elizabeth and and sunny (laughs) like really oh no Uh, absolutely so john Kerry root keeps trying to reach he knows he can't even reach elizabeth uh Mm -hmm. she's too busy doing all these press tours and almost oh this is the other bonkers thing almost getting theranos into the united states military because remember half of her board were former, like, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense people, the military was going to start using Theranos for foreign aid missions and, like, doing blood tests on people in, like, lesser developed countries. Isn't that horrifying to think of? That is so horrifying. Including HIV tests. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, like, we have obviously a lot of stories of people who got false positives because that's easier to... Because if you got a false positive, it stands to reason that you went and followed up on that and got that checked out as being untrue. Yeah. The scary thing is thinking about all the false negatives that might have come out of this of oh, people yeah. looking to see if they had, like, because they were also doing herpes tests for a while, maybe got a false negative on, like, an STD test or something else that might be infectious yeah. and didn't know that they still had it because they thought they had done their due diligence to go get tested. It's so so very up. scary. Wall Street Journal, John Kerry, we tried for months to get a tour of Theranos. Sunny Balwani keeps uh, dodging them. They finally bring a Theranos to the Wall Street Journal's offices, but they won't let them look inside or do any kind of tests on it. (laughs) Again, citing citing trade secrets. Uh, Their lawyer's actual quote on it was, it just feels like you want us to tell you the recipe to Coke to prove that Coke is real. Uh, And John um, Kerry was like, no, no, because Coke is a beverage and this is a blood test machine that you say can do something that literally no other machine can do. So... And yet you won't show us how. And you won't show us how. And you won't show anybody how. And you won't let another independent expert review it. You won't anyone review it. So (laughs) this goes on and on. Finally, with the help of the former employees, they're able to publish their first story in October 2015, detailing several people's experience getting inaccurate test results. And then the testimony from former employees that not only does the machine not work, but that whenever the Walgreens 
Walgreens and the other Theranos labs were taking venous draws out of people's veins. They were just using them on other commercial machines, like machines that anybody could buy, like from Siemens. Yeah. (laughs) And then sending that back and pretending that it was done on Theranos trademarked uh, machinery. Oh my gosh. So this was the first article. It wasn't the last. Carrie Rue actually, like, you know, always in like movies, it's like they do the big article and then everybody boos and it's over. In reality, it took a little bit longer. It was like several months of like follow-up articles and more investigative reporting. Once, you know, one person talked and a lot of other people felt safer talking. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, Elizabeth Holmes like denied all the claims. She uh, very famously went on Mad Money. Again, not like she didn't go like to other scientists and said, hey, you're a scientist. You know what Tell I'm trying to do works. here. She went on Mad Money because that was what this was <laughs> always about uh, and said, first they think you're crazy. Then they fight you. And then all of a sudden you change the world. All of a sudden, uh, just like that. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you change the world. Uh, it did not work out that way. However, off of John Kerry's reporting, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which sounds a little confusing, but the very short answer of this is for some reason, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid in the United States are the ones that oversee medical devices, mm-hmm. which is ruled under a different set of laws than medical practice for some reason. I don't. Anyway, for <laughs> some dumb know. American reason, Medicare and Medicaid oversees medical devices only. And because mm-hmm. Theranos was technically a medical device, this was how the government was able to come in and say, hey, we're revoking your right to operate this medical device in the United States until you can solve these problems and fix these things about your lab. And in their report, which was public, you know, which was publicly available because it was a government agency, that report detailed everything that Carrie Rue had been reporting, which was that they were using commercial machines that anyone could buy, mm-hmm. uh, that the machine did not work, and that the most of the tests were highly inaccurate. And once that came out, it was fucking over. Oh, yeah. Walgreens uh, ended their relationship, closed down all of the Theranos labs and all the different Walgreens. Uh, the state of Arizona sued Theranos. There were several more civil lawsuits that came out, uh, two class action lawsuits. Uh, and then the FBI, as we know, slapped both Sonny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes with um, criminal lawsuits, criminal wire fraud. Yeah. So at its height, which was in 2015, at the time that Carrie Rue's reporting came out, Theranos had more than 800 employees. They had two giant headquarters oh um, on either sides of uh, Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. Again, in the heart of tech, not in the heart of science. Right. That was always what this was about. They never made as much money as they said they did, which is the basis of her wire fraud charges. Mm-hmm. They claimed in 2014 to have made $100 million in revenue when they only made $100,000 <laughs> in revenue. That is different. Uh, That's different. Yeah. So in all of this and in all of the fallout, so far the biggest thing that Elizabeth Holmes has suffered, other than I guess like, you know, wounded pride, is that she is banned from being an officer, like a CEO or uh-huh. you know, a CEO or whatever, uh- in any public company for 10 years. Is that uh, it? <laughs> so far. But then again, remember, she is uh, under investigation or she has been formally charged by uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office for wire fraud. 
fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Mm. What about her hurting people? And they're like, that's not important. We don't care about that. We care about money. We actually money. don't care. That happened to normal working class people and we don't give a shit. But the money she stole was from former Secretary of State George Schultz and we care about that a Can't whole lot. Can't have that. Cannot have it. So <laughs> that is a very rough overview of what happened with Theranos, what they claimed to be able to do, which was test your blood through your finger for everything in like a little box. What they actually <laughs> did, which was not do that <laughs> and uh, give you false reports based on uh, machines that they literally just bought off the internet and what she's in trouble for, which is mail fraud. And uh, maybe the most important thing is, was her weird voice real? Oh my gosh. I thought I was like, is she going to talk about her voice? She has- <laughs> to talk about the voice. Hi, my name's Elizabeth Holmes. So she doesn't seem to talk like that anymore. Interesting. Which Interesting. went strongly, and there were several anecdotal recollections in John Kerry Rue's book of her getting either very upset or very flustered, and the voice going away, like in meetings with people. Oh. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, all of it's weird, but the voice is so weird. I will say, perhaps we will never know unless she comes out and confesses or maybe if like there's like some courtroom testimony where she sounds normal, if the voice was fake. But... I would say it stands to reason with everything else that we know about her, which was that like she absolutely believed in the mantra, fake it until you make it. That if you surround yourself with the trappings of success, you surround yourself with successful people, you tell people that you are successful, that you will eventually be successful. That's why she dressed like Steve Holmes or Steve Holmes. What am I saying? Steve Jobs. (laughs) She wishes. That's why she dressed like Steve Jobs every day of her life. And up until she lost her company in a black turtleneck, she wore Mm -hmm. a uniform because she had read that Steve Jobs wore a uniform uh, so that he could have more of his brain, you know, available for making a computer. And... She also poached a bunch of people from Apple at that time. She was like obsessed specifically with poaching talent from Apple. But most of what she poached were like designers. Like she got their chief designer and their marketing people. And that's why the original design of the Edison looks kind of like a computer because it was computer people designing it. Right. But Um, it looks like a, like a desktop kind of windows thing, like a big chunky old guy. It could only be so small. She wanted it to be, small enough eventually that you could carry it around with you that like everyone could have one in their home but they couldn't get it that small they never were able to get it that small because again inside was just a mini lab yeah (laughs) which i think like there was another there was another prototype that was even called just the mini lab (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah absolutely but in all these videos and in like in those interviews and stuff like in them on the mad money thing she has this bizarre like baritone wasn't it the whole idea was that to be more like a authoritative yes so that was that was where i was kind of going with that was that she was so sort of the aesthetics of success or the aesthetics of power it absolutely stands to reason uh what most people kind of deduce from the voice which is that she was a very young woman uh running this company and she thought if she had a deep voice that that would uh that would have like a psychological effect on people where they'd be more likely to take her seriously mm-hmm. it's weird because the voice is so affected that I feel like it almost does the opposite where you are you're kind of taken aback by it yeah, yeah, this like is you're not drawing real. more attention to yourself because Margaret Thatcher with- did the same thing right before 
before before she got elected, she had like tons and tons of vocal coaching to have like this posh, deep voice. But because she was already had that sort of accent, like it was weird, but it didn't super stand out. But Elizabeth Holmes is, is just bizarro. Yeah, I don't think she had the same team. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> that, not. Uh, that Margaret Thatcher had access to. Uh, the thing that it that reminds me of, and this is the anecdote that I'm going to use to close this out, was when I was in high school, I actually knew somebody who did something similar. Really? Uh, there was, yeah, there was this guy. I'm not going to say his name, obviously. There was a guy in our friend group. And when I first met him, it was when I was a freshman in high school and he was a an eighth grader. So like 13 or 14. And he had a normal like 13 or 14 year old boy's voice. Then the fast forward to the next year, he enters our high school. He kind of enters our friend group because we already sort of knew him. Uh Uh, And he has a voice that sounds like the boy equivalent of Elizabeth Holmes. It's like, let me see if I can do it. It's like, um, uh, my friend Alex Perez, who's been on this podcast, is going to lose his fucking mind when he hears this. Uh, It was like, hello, Chelsea. How are you doing today? I mean, I'm like, that sounds like a joke. I'm saying that that's what it sounded like, because it wasn't just how low it was. It was really raspy and it was very like affected, like almost kind of monotone. Yeah. And it got to the point where his parents brought him to like an otolaryngologist, like a throat specialist. And they actually brought him to several to be like, what's going on with our son's voice? Like, are, should we be concerned? Is this a uh, symptom of something wrong? And they did all these tests and they were like, there's nothing wrong. This is just the way that his voice developed. Like some men, as they go through puberty, develop really low voices. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like, he was our friend. He was in our friend group. I, for the record, never once heard him drop the voice. Really? But we all kind of suspected that it was possible that it was not real because Mm -hmm. it was just so, again, like it was just so unnatural, not just like the sound, but the cadence of speaking. But I was like, you know what? I never heard it change. He never dropped it once. Maybe I'm just being an asshole. (sighs) And like, that is what his voice sounded like. So obviously none of us ever like confronted him or, you know, made fun of him. It was just something that every once in a while, I think maybe like once in all of like high school, we were like, hey, do you think maybe... So that all happened in high school. Fast forward like 10 years mm-hmm. and I'm talking to friend of the pod, Alex Perez. And he's like, oh, by the way, I ran into the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you did? How is he? How are things going? That's great. And he was like, yeah, he's doing this. He's doing that. He's really happy. You know, he's seeing somebody. Da, da, da. And then I was like, we were kind of quiet for a second. And I was like, but <laughs> what did he sound like? Yeah. Uh, and Alex Perez, ever the Libra son that he is, was quiet for, and I'm not exaggerating, 25 five seconds of just staring at me smiling so excited that he had something to tell me that I wanted to hear and after this unbearable silence he's like his voice was normal and I was like I fucking knew it oh my gosh I always knew it and I felt like an asshole for thinking it was fake and it was totally fake the whole time. And I think about that all the time. Ever since I got that like verification from my friend, I think about then what it must have meant for all of high school that yeah. this person never dropped that voice once. So oh. it happens. They're out there. The Elizabeth Holmes is and there. the others are out there. Just like the the work it would take to have a fake voice. Your voice, one of the most like true to you, unique, like fingerprint like things about your identity. And to to 
change it and keep that change every time you speak to somebody. Mm-hmm. Bonkers. Gosh, the effort that it must take. Because I wonder <laughs> if he went home and spoke normally. Ah. I I wonder that too, but I feel like no, because... Um, Maybe he uh, had like really severe notes or something. I a friend of a friend of ours in our friend group dated him for a while. And so therefore they obviously spent a lot of time at his house with his parents. They said, because again, it was a thing that every once in a while we would kind of talk about. Uh-huh. They said, no, no, no. It's like even at home with, with parents. Like this is just what his voice sounds like. So he, he really, and like his parents also believed it enough to take him to doctors. So, right. I mean, the thing is, is like, look, like teenagers are nightmares and their brains aren't fully formed. I'm not judging this person no, based on having done that. I mean, there were several things about my personality that I absolutely like affected when I was a teenager trying to figure out who I was and who I wanted to be. Uh, I do think that changing your entire voice is like at a different level of dedication. Um, and it does imply maybe at the very least like a deep discomfort with like who you are, like your own identity mm-hmm. that you would want to change something that like paramount to yourself and go through that effort. Like for example, I remember there was a time when like, I think I was a little bit younger than a teenager, but I really wanted to be left-handed because I had heard <laughs> like, cause, like people who are left-handed have, and I get it cause like they, it's hard to be left-handed. My stepmom's left-handed. She always has to like sit at a certain spot on the table. That's her struggle, right? Like that's her cross yeah. to bear. Uh, but so then you would get like this like left-handed backlash where they'd be like, well, only like 18% of like people are left-handed and they're more creative. And I was like, I'm creative. I, I want to be the most creative. Uh, so I, I sat down and I tried to teach myself to write with my left hand. And I was like, I don't care how long it takes. I will I'm going to do this and I'm going to commit. And then I will just simply be left-handed and nobody ever has to know that I used to write with my right hand. Uh, and that <laughs> lasted for about two days because it's really fucking hard. It's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> to change something about yourself like that. So anyway. All so, that is yes. to say. All that is to say that is your lowdown, your sweet, sweet lowdown on Theranos. Also, I really love this this comment from our Patreon chat where Cam said, for some reason I thought you were going to say an eighth grader committed fraud. And I was like, <laughs> well, he kind of did. In a way. It wasn't why a way. fraud. It was friend fraud. Friend fraud. He lied to all of us. <laughs> well, Chelsea, you know that I love the story of the disruptor Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Um, that's what she called herself, by the way. And I actually have find, found out here that um, she massively idolized Margaret Thatcher. So isn't that interesting? Oh, psychotic. Oh, that is that is a little bit of information. Like that that makes sense. Yeah, it's it all does. going together. It sure yeah. does. So I'm going to give you 20 right off, 20 right out of the gate, right off the bat, because I love this story. Uh, I find it equally fascinating. And it reminds me of the sweet drives back from work where I would lose my mind at the traffic on I-35. That's true. But I am going to have to take away five points for the hurt that it caused to to poor people, to innocent bystanders who just wanted a real quick little fun blood test and, and in fact got themselves caught up in quite the debacle. That's absolutely fair. I, I will take that L. So, but that means that you are the winner of today's episode with a with 15 points because hear this. <laughs> I am halfway <laughs> through counting up the scores and okay. I have decided to create, in fact, a Google Sheet to make this <gasps> much easier. What a queen. So, so today I've written down here that you have, you've, you've won by a single point. I got 14 and you got 15. Congratulations. And then next week, and I promise, promise, that I will t- I will tell you how, how the actual score. We will have a little update. Yeah, on our thirtieth episode of the season. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Isn't I love that for yeah. us. 
us. I love that thrill. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of What. I hope that you enjoyed it and you learned some fun and crazy things. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, Facebook, and Redbubble if you want to get like cool t-shirt, grab yourself some merch. And feel free to email us at those two girls.club if you want to uh we want us to say anything on the podcast and we we will have a wonderful week and i don't know maybe go learn something and if you're elizabeth holmes and you're listening to this i think you should maybe keep it loose (laughs) keep it tight girl you're gonna want to say your prayers at night because you're gonna gonna need jail (laughs) oh well if she wasn't rich she would already be there that's true yeah all righty thanks everybody bye